Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Debrief Podcast after a couple months hiatus. I'm joined here, as always, with the 97th Air Mobility Wing Command Team, Colonel Baker and Chief Flores. And we have a very special guest this afternoon. We've got Lieutenant Colonel Teddy Boyd, our 56th ARS commander. How are you doing, sir? All right. Thank you. Doing great. I don't know about very special, but adi- <laughs> adequate is what I should Adequately for, so. special. Yeah, yeah. But uh, command team, yeah. we've had a couple months off the debrief. What have you guys been up to? What have you been up to lately? Well, it's been a couple months because it's been incredible around the air patch. We've been so busy doing so many great things. The first thing that comes to mind is we closed out our training year, which is aligned to the fiscal year. So at the end of September, we closed out our training year, and we hit a 15-year high water mark for the number of students trained. We graduated 2,031 students this year, which, again, was the first time we've crested 2,000 since uh, 15 years ago. And, and we're really proud of the team's collective efforts. When we talk about the number of students graduated, what I always say is it's not about the number, which is important because it demonstrates the magnitude. But every one of those students is combat power in the hands of field commanders. And as we know, with Ukraine going on right now, uh, with our pacing challenge in the Pacific, we've got to keep generating and and getting folks out the door and back into the field commander's hands. So that's exactly what we're doing. Super proud of the team. And they did it safely. They did it with excellence. And we're really proud. Chief, what have you been seeing around the air patch? Well, I'll tell you one thing I see right now is a different coffee cup for him and Jance. I'm disappointed. So the hiatus is different. Keeping keeping the Minnesota theme going. But I had my to-go mug uh, after lunch today. I needed an extra cup of tea this afternoon. So That's awesome. Yes, sir. So, you know, one thing that really stood out to me since the last time we filmed, uh, one, we have a new vice, uh, Colonel Patrick Brady Lee, an Altus native. He just came to us from the Pentagon. He's been crushing it. The other thing is that we had an air show recently. Oh, yeah. First one in five years. Uh, amazing acts. And I think the most impressive part, and really, it shows uh, how much you trusted the team uh, for requirements of getting things done. Um, was that we are, we executed October 1st, which is always uh, can be a minefield, but the, the fact that we did it that day um, showed how much trust and confidence you had in the team to execute. You mean with the changeover, the money is in all Yeah, that. fiscal year closeout can bring some uh, some some concerns, but uh, that was no problem to our team, and, and they executed uh, marvelously, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think we had about 15,000 people that showed up on the air patch for that. It was a wonderful day, and again, open the gates to the community, demonstrate where the good use of the taxpayer's dollar goes and just demonstrate air power for our community and connect. It was, it was amazing. I agree. And yeah, having Colonel Brady Lee on deck has been fantastic. The community obviously loves him. We love having him here and it's been great. Hit the ground running. It's yes, been sir. busy. Yeah. Is that pretty oh, good yeah. rundown? That's what, that's oh, yeah. two months. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, and now we got yeah. Colonel Boyd. Colonel we got Boyd. Teddy. What have, uh, what have you been up to lately? Oh boy. <laughs> um, the slew of TDYs lately, but it uh, depends on how far, far back you want to go. Banner year, FY22 for for the Mad Hatters. We did a lot of really Im- impressive things. Uh, I think right now we have uh, more students on the fly than we ever had. And I think uh, at one point last week we had as, as many as the 54th, which is small but mighty upstairs. And we're just cruising along. And so uh returned from Weapons System Council last week and... Got some really great reviews from the wing commanders, the other squadron commanders. Everybody's very excited about what we're up to TDL, tactical data link-wise. And so when I told them that we were routinely on the Beyond Line of Sight system uh, almost every flight, it it blew some minds. And so uh, I think Altus is really well positioned to, sir, as you said, Mm -hmm. deliver value back for the enterprise and and put warfighters' names in his hands. And so 
I think Altus is leading the way in a lot of aspects 46-wise. So yeah, huge shout-out to the, to the team. I agree. The 56 air refueling squadron that Teddy commands here with our KC-46 newest air refueling platform in the Air Force, it's really maturing. It's it's come a, it's come a long way in a relatively short time here at Altus and across the board. You've got your first full pilot initial qual classes and boom initial qual classes. It's a milestone for the program. And then, um, you know, Chief and I have both seen at every turn the the hatters are out there on, on the leading edge, getting folks ready to get to the field and to project combat power. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah. So again, that's a two month snapshot. We could go. We could probably go on and on, but we. We want to hear from Teddy here, and we want yes. to hear from you. What have yes. you been up to, Airman Jansen, uh, in those two months? I've just been I've been covering all those events. <laughs> you know, uh, the air show was an absolute success for the PA team. We got a lot of great products out of it, uh, photos, videos, news. Um, in that time, we've also had some uh, very important generals uh, visit us, uh, as well as uh, secretaries and DVs in general. Uh, we've had a lot of very important visits uh, and to showcase our mission to those individuals um, but but yeah it's been it's been really busy uh, who who would you say was the most important visitor since the last time we filmed be careful i'm just kidding answer honestly <laughs> um to you specifically i don't know i i honestly no, no offense to the generals, but that that air show and having mm-hmm. all of those outside organizations, all those outside uh, personnel come and for us to show off all of our, our our air power and everything we can put on, I think it just shows how much of a premier installation we are at the 97th Air Mobility Wing, you know. And I thought that that was really important. That really ah, Jazz, I, I feel like I, I was throwing you a softball there. We went to your promotion ceremony. Oh, yeah. my God. Your mama yes, was mom, there. Mom was here. <laughs> oh, then yeah. you swung and missed, that man. Was, a, was that with it? Yeah, it might have been within the past two months. Sorry, Mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I, yeah, but I so, love how much you love the Air Force. Yes. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so just so our listeners can hear, within the past couple months, I did sew on my, uh, my senior airman patch. And, my mother uh, made the trip out, um, which to, to my surprise, too. Thank, thanks to my superintendent, too, who planned and plotted it all behind my back. He's back in uh, the shadows right yeah, now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he's chuckling, and uh, it it was it was a great surprise, uh, and it it was it was a great moment great for day. me. Yeah, for me personally. So well, congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But. Um, Gentlemen, if if we want to get into the meat and potatoes here, we do. Uh, we want to hear from Teddy Boyd, yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Boyd. Uh, Colonel Boyd, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a hard uh, fastball at you right away. Uh, tell me, uh, give me a little bit of your background and your and your childhood and what what growing up was like in the uh, Boyd family. Fastball, man, that's a softball. Yeah. I thought you were gonna knife hand me with something <laughs> no, really no, no, contentious. No. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. I'm I'm given a and a keynote address at the Jackson County uh, Health Department Symposium on Thursday, and I was writing, I was talking about some some life story, life uh, life lessons this morning as I was writing out my speech, and it was really interesting. My entire life characterized by wanting to join the Air Force. I wrote the uh, I wrote the Air Force Academy a letter in the fifth grade and 
told them that I'd like to attend. Wow. They wrote me back and said, uh, why don't you let us know when you can drive? <laughs> and, uh, but it was it's interesting because my whole life became about attending the Air Force Academy. Everything that I did was either a, a zero sum, is it helping me get there or not helping me get there? And so I, I think kind of the first character trait is I was driven to, um, to do something. And so uh, from the Air Force Academy, I was not the cadet and the student that I wanted to be. And so that's part of my personal testimony is helping people understand that regardless of who you are or where you came from, you have the chance in your career to just turn around, be whoever you want, and even base to base, right? You carry a certain amount of reputation with you, but you always have the chance to start over. And I think that's one of the, the blessings of the military career. Uh, the second part is I was a C-17 pilot at Charleston for a very long time. First met you, Colonel Baker, and Colonel Brady Lee uh, sitting up there as the wing exec. And so I know you guys were in the 16th, and I was in the, the better squadron in the 15th. Oh, oh. shots fired, shots fired. <laughs> and, um, and that was a really outstanding uh, experience for me. I was there for six and a half years. I was a special operations C-17 evaluator pilot, and just all of my dreams kind of came true, and I had this this moment where I, I sat and I realized that my entire life had become about going to the Air Force Academy, going to pilot training, becoming a Soul 2 pilot, and then eventually I was walking down the street of Charleston towards the Sim building and I was like, hey, this is the first time in 20-something years like I, I have achieved. Uh, and it was really interesting because from there my life became less about flying and more about leading people. You know, once you, once you kind of reach the um, towards the top of the technical expertise and you, and you get the taste of making a difference in somebody's life that either you go all in on that or you go all out and we've seen people who do not want to be supervisors do not want to be leaders and and that's okay not everybody should be uh, but my life became about that I was the AFE flight commander at Charleston it was uh, Teddy and 64 <laughs> civilian and airmen and that was a wild ride uh, from there, I, I did the Phoenix Mobility Program out to Hickam, and I was part of the en route structure as part of the AMC's um, contingency response sort of exposure program and leadership development. From there, I was selected uh, to go be the military aide to the president, and I served two and a half years at the White House, doing what most people call carrying the nuclear football, but there's so much, so much else, so much more than that. Uh, from there, I thought I'd take a break and go to Johns Hopkins University. Uh, because I thought it would be nice and easy going to school two, three, two or three days a week. It was not. And, uh, but it was a life-changing education where I got to learn from some of the smartest people in the entire world in strategic studies. We read a thousand pages a week and just crunched through academics. And so uh, from there, came out to Altus uh, and was blessed to work for my best friend in the Air Force, Keaton Askew, at the OSS to be his DO. Highly recommend to anybody if you get the chance to work for a very good friend or work with it is, a, it is an experience unlike any other in life. And from the OSS, uh, I got the opportunity to be in charge of a, a task force called the FTU Next Task Force, and I was charged with figuring out the brain how the brain works, applying that to the adult learning and aviation context, maximizing it through a full course of uh, transformational technologies, and doing that in six months to completely rebuild the C-17 syllabus. And uh, the the previous wing commander said, "It's it's this. I need you to put the effort into it that is going to the moon and the Manhattan Project all wrapped into one." And so, uh, so in my testimony that I, that I'm given as on Thursday, it's don't do what Teddy did, which is trade your personal health uh, for um, you know for success in in sort of the work environment. And so I think I've been trading on that for a long time and trying very hard to realign my life into some sort of thing that's. 
uh, resilient and um, and sustainable. But June sixteenth, twenty twenty one, got the opportunity of, of a lifetime and uh, take command of the fifty six ARS Mad Hatters, and it has been a fast, incredible, fulfilling, outstanding journey with this squadron. Uh, it is hard to describe squadron command the the highs, the lows, the the long days that are also very short, it is, uh, it's very interesting. And so it's been an awesome journey. So as a commander, do you, do you, this is a bit of a rhetorical question, but do you feel like the pay on the mm. outside looking in compensate for what you're actually asked to do? Chief, that's a, that's a fun question. I think we are paid very well for what we do okay. in the military. I will say, um, especially talking to some of my, my peers on, on the maintenance side, they don't have that, that equivalent pay structure and I, I don't think we pay those guys enough for what they deal with especially on the maintenance side but uh, I am very blessed to be here and uh, I took I took the long commitment so I'm 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 here I'm here to make a difference and regardless of what the pay looks yes, like. Yes sir so I guess uh, that, that kind of led on to uh, what would you say um, you say long days uh, a lot of work a lot of ups and downs what makes it worth it every single day to be a squadron commander in your world? Boy, applying leadership at uh, at that level is is really interesting, especially for somebody who likes to look at the academic side and see how it plays out in real life. And uh, making a difference in people's life has always been what it's about for me. If you can make a difference in one person's life, it's worth it. Uh, and then you can stack those wins on top of each other. But more than that is the the organizational change that we've seen in the fifty sixth. It, it has gone through several inflection points, and I happened to take over right at the time the the mission was was increasing exponentially, and a lot of uh, different challenges were coming to head. And so it's been a really fantastic experience to try and lead people through that, inspire, trust, and inspire, um, and help them achieve more than they thought was possible. And so it's really cool to see that come to fruition. In fact, that's one of the things that I that I talked to you about at the. Uh, I've spoken at a few of the courses, the SEL course, most recently the ALA course, and I, I told them that you can read the books and you can le learn the theories, but it takes a lot of courage to actually follow the recommendations of, of Trust and Inspire because it is so much easier to go full control. Say, I, you will do this because it takes immediate effect. And in the military, we have a top-down structure and they more or less have to comply. It takes a lot of faith to help somebody, to inspire them, to lead them transformationally and coach them along because it's a lot slower and it's not the pace that any of us want to achieve, but it is more sustainable and actually just makes your heart smile when it all comes to fruition. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. There's a, you hit, you hit some things, your little roll up. One of the things that you hit on is this, it's really a, it's been an ongoing conversation and it ebbs and flows since, at least since I've been, been around and serving and leading and, and particularly in the flying world. And that is, you know, we, we have this conversation about um, fly only tracks or fly tracks versus leadership tracks and whether not to get in the details or go down rabbit holes on those. But what I did want to say and where you where you started talking about through your journey, when you realized like the tech, technical expertise was there, kind of gone along this path. And then I decided that, you know, you decided that you wanted to, um, you know, lead airmen and make a difference in, team, in the team dynamic. And what I've always said um, when we get into those conversations about at what level do we want to lead and serve is that the same things and the same principles that give you satisfaction as an aircraft commander or a section commander as a flight commander, you know, those kinds of smaller scale leadership opportunities, 
the fulfillment that you get from that is the same fulfillment that you get from squadron, from group, from wing. And so that feeling of serving airmen and growing a team doesn't change for me. That's a universal. And that's the thing I'm always trying to get through in that conversation. I feel like I can sometimes never get the right amplitude for that to soak in is it's the same thing. The thing that gives a young captain aircraft commander satisfaction is the exact kind of leadership that matters in the flight and the squadron at the group and at the wing and above. So anyway, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it gave me a little, it gave me a little segue to, to talk about that. And I think the tenets are the same. I really do. So something for the audience out there as we, as our air force, you know, wrestles with that. Yes, sir. Sir, uh, I dabbled in writing an article about flight leadership, yeah. uh, the leadership in flight and comparing it to kind of formal leadership. Mm-hmm. And I came to a lot of the same conclusions is uh, I, I equate, there's a great analogy that says that as the leader of an organization, you're basically the lead of a, call it a sick ship, like Operation Vanguard Blitz today. Mm-hmm. And if you're at the front and you haven't told people where you're going and you're just yanking and banking all over the place, it is nearly impossible for people to keep up. And so the the steadier, the more clear, the more you can have wingman consideration towards the, the trail end of the formation, it is. It, it They are very similar aspects. Absolutely. So. And when you're building the plan, you're building the plan through your team, right? It's not all hierarchical, top-down, building it out. You're getting their input. You're giving them buy-in, right? And you're setting the plan so it can be successful so that when you do have to go with the branch plan, that it does come off the rails. And sir, to that point, one of the main lessons I've learned in, in squadron command is it's it's less about the destination, more about the process. It's less about the right answer and more about how you got to the right answer where, you know, by nature of the experience that we've had over 17, 18, 20 years, we know what the right answer will probably look like. But if we just sit there and tell people what to do, one, they have no buy-in. Two, they don't get a chance to learn themselves. And then uh, three, they're less likely to take ownership of that. And so uh, it, it takes it takes courage, once again, to sit back and say, I know where we should end up, but how do I help facilitate people to discover the right answer themselves? Yeah, it's harder. It's harder. Communication is definitely harder. Then you've got a feedback, follow up. And, you know, the thing we talk about, cause it's a form of empowerment. You're talking about empowerment, right? And we know that fundamentally, you know, to empower is the right way to go, especially when we need to um, work through distributed control and we're going to have to have our folks fight forward. But there's also a level of accountability that comes with that at the respected level of echelon. And there's also the communications that are harder because you've, it, and I think it challenges us in a lot of ways to, to be better as leaders and to provide more commander's intent and less do X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. I think we talked about it at the ALA. I have a, uh, well, I think one of the, sorry, Air Power Leadership Academy. We talked to some frontline supervisors as they, as they look to elevate their, their leadership game. And uh, I told them that the one of the absolute key tasks of leadership is delegation because done well, it is empowering, it's inspiring, and you can really achieve a lot. And done poorly, that looks a lot like micromanagement. And so I think it, it you draw it all the way back to kind of commander's intent. And we talked through, uh, sat and thought a lot about commander's intent. And I mentioned it at the squadron commander breakfast several months ago, but it comes down to uh, the context of so why we need to do something, the purpose, why this task matters. Uh, the problem, the mission statement that that is, and then the product. So what the vision looks like, because it, I have to be able to give people enough specifics so that neither of us are disappointed at the end. 
but enough room to run so they can exceed my expectations. And at the end is the, the process, so the left-right boundaries, talk to these people, don't talk to these people, or you know, don't elevate past our, our echelon of command. And it's been really interesting. So when I delegate tasks like that, um, it's amazing to see what people come up with. And not once since I've been in command using this format has somebody come up with exactly what I thought was going to happen. And not once was it less awesome than what I had in my head. And so if you just give people the boundaries, it's yeah. amazing what they'll come up with. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, best analogy I use is uh, I'm here to tell you what kind of sausage I want. How you make it is up to you. Mm-hmm. When I see it doesn't come out a certain way, then I'll give you more feedback, which is all the elements that you were talking about, sir. But that's awesome. Yeah, empowerment is huge. And I think that's how you start building future chiefs, future squadron commanders is when, like you said, the things that motivate us really fall into those things, that, that sense of empowerment, that sense of accomplishment when you got it down there rather than someone holding your hand. And that, that is very important. Absolutely. Can't understate the, the concept of, of buy-in. I mean, it is really, really powerful. And I think uh, CSAF said it really well at ATA last year when it started talking about mission command, mission type orders, trust and inspire. And there's a certain amount of leadership acceptance and willingness to not get what you wanted out of the deal. Uh, and it's basically the concept of grace. It's like, ooh. So anytime that I get something back that I that doesn't quite meet my expectations, I'll look inside and say, man, how did I, how did I fail to deliver enough specifics on this? Then you can pivot that. I know both of you are astute uh, students of leadership and you pivot that right back towards situational leadership model where you enter into the conversation with somebody you think they're in, in this quadrant of the chart and they, they prove you wrong that they're maybe not there, so you need to give them more specifics and then more specifics if they fail to meet that. And if they aren't even meeting the minimum expectations, that's where uh, the less coaching and more directive sort of feedback comes in. But it's it's all on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, what do they say with uh, uh, with empowerment must come competence? So that's part of assessing a person too is uh, make sure that the competence is there. If not, you work towards it to make sure when you empower them, you're not setting them up for failure. Yeah, it's kind of like the coaching idea. You don't want to put an unprepared team on the field. They should be competent in their respective positions. Otherwise, you're putting that person in a bad spot and you're not going to accomplish your objective. So totally, totally agree with that. That's a good good little aphorism. Yeah. Colonel Boyd, I want to get back to kind of uh, your personal life and – personal and professional influences throughout your career? Uh, Were there people outside of the military, uh, even before you joined, uh, that really influenced you and shaped you? And then after you joined the military, were there individuals throughout your career that really, really shaped you and made you want to, you know, got you to this point? Absolutely. Absolutely. And And if somebody gets to a spot in their career where they they're like, I got here on my own. I think they really need to take a step back and do some self-examination. I'm only here as a product of the people who had the grace to to coach me beforehand and give me the chance to fix my mistakes and get to where I am. And, and, and that's what you see before you. Uh, I, it started really young. I come from a very strong lineage of military service. So my dad was a Vietnam veteran helicopter pilot, did the, the crazy artillery scouting in Ford helicopters. Uh, before that, his mom was a code breaker in World War II, and his dad was a, oh. a Navy, uh, was an, as an enlisted Navy uh, seaman. And then uh, my mom's dad served under Patton in World War II in the Battle of the Bulge. And so 
I don't know. It, it was just a really strong influence, and I never thought I, I never had a conception that I would do anything else. So, how did? Why did I want to go to the Air Force Academy in the fifth grade? Well, I knew I wanted to fly. My dad left the army, retired from the army, and then became an airline pilot. I knew I wanted to fly. Just something about flying just captivated me. And then I knew that I was going to go to the military. It was never even a question. So you put those two together. There's Air Force Academy, and and that's how it goes. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank my dad for all the all the lessons growing up. Uh, he had there are some very very tough very tough lessons uh, that he afforded me, and but I would not be who I am without him. Uh, after that, my very first squadron commander was uh, was then Lieutenant Colonel Johnny Lamontane, now Lieutenant General Lamontane, and uh, the sky's the limit for that. Just phenomenal leader. Uh, he pulled he pulled me in to be his exec as a lieutenant, and I I did not want to exec, and he. He saw that I, I did something well, and he caught me in the parking lot, and I was just trying to fly and gain gain confidence. And he goes, "Teddy, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have you be my next exec. Roger that, sir. Whatever you need." And then uh, I, I exec for him for a year, uh, and that was really interesting. And then uh, and then after that was now I was then Lieutenant Colonel Reva Sunkis, and now Brigadier General Sunkis, and learned so much more for her. I exec for her for I think two years. And then after that was um, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Owens, who was a former vice president, um, military aide. From that, it was Cassius Bentley, Colonel Cassius Bentley. Mm -hmm. And so I have had just a phenomenal slate of squadron commanders growing up. Uh, I would not be where I am without those. And you pick things up from each one, um, and you just try and understand why they do what they do and then try and understand how you would either do the same or do it differently. And uh, I, I encourage everybody in all the classes I teach that leadership is a journey. It's an ex experimentation. And so you've got to be taking notes. And after every single job, I, I take notes of what I learned from this job. So you just kind of do some reflection. And I have a, a thing that I do in, in small circles, the 19 lessons I learned uh, at the White House and just, you know, base core memories and starting to write out the ones that I've learned from Squadron Command. But, sir, as you know, there, there are too many lessons to learn. It, it's a, I, I have a whole sheet every single day, so if yeah. I were to do that. Maybe 97 lessons. Yeah, 97 you might have from, from or maybe you'll have 56. Yeah, 56. This one for you. I'll run but out of words. I'd say, I, a lot of times we'll have conversations, and I definitely say this in the front office, and I say it to Squadron Commanders too, if, if you are not growing professionally and personally, Every single day in command, particularly your, your front office and key jobs, then you're you're really missing something. And so I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the perspective of trying to tie those threads together and see what, what are the big ideas here? What are the big things that were at work? Because it really is, it goes far beyond the, the business that we're in is not nine to five business, right? This is the national defense of the United States of America. And it 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 involves every component of our lives. And so there's so much to learn every day. It's such a rich environment out there for growth. It's just incredible. I think once you can get to a place where you can look at it through that lens, it really opens up a lot more and the experiences. And, and I think I've heard you touch on this, maybe some moments where you, where you figured out is, is the experience one of personal growth or, or am I so driven on this path that I, I can't see the forest through the trees or whatever it may be, but it's a great conversation to have important conversations. Uh, sir, as you know, I I go about a thousand miles an hour everything I do, and with that comes a lot of mistakes. Uh, but my only commitment my entire life has been never to make the same mistake twice. I try very very hard to 
figure out why things did not go the way that I thought they would or the way I wanted them to, and then make sure that I that I don't do it again. And so I only consider it a failure. One, you know, one of the best interview questions is, you know, tell me the last time you failed, right? Or what does failure mean to you? And uh, I only consider it a failure if I failed to learn from my mistakes. That's good. That's a good perspective. Well, you mentioned, Teddy, if you don't mind, Aaron Jantz, if I ask one here, one little thread that I'd like to pull, and this is definitely about Teddy Boyd. Uh, in your in your elevator speech of your experience up until now, you mentioned at one point you said, "When I was at the academy, I wasn't the cadet I wanted to be." What did you What did you mean What did you mean by that? Do you mind going into a little bit a little bit of detail on that? What was the lesson there? It's got to be a life lesson. Uh, sir, so many lessons, so many lessons. Um, I think I was ill prepared. Um, and, and I think this is not a criticism of, of my upbringing. I think um, it, it goes back to the kind of control versus inspiration and trust and development and coaching, right? And so I think once I didn't have the strong presence in my life telling me what to do, I didn't know what I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Uh, I know that uh, now, after a lot of exploration on my own personality, I really dislike. Um, somebody wasting my time and that it turns out is a personal tripwire for me and I think it's because my brain works so quickly I want to go here and, and the academy is very much about you will do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it and so I, I had an internal rebellion against that we'll say uh, and I also wasn't a very prepared student um, things came I, I transferred from a city school to a very country school I graduated with 50 people from high school um, to the point where I'd been doing self-study uh, academics for many years. And then I went, I did my senior year of high school at Kansas State University in some basic classes. And so I was ill-prepared on the academic side. I also played football my freshman year, and that was more of a job than it was a hobby. And so I think the, the storm of things just caused me to be completely overwhelmed and ill-prepared. And so uh, in the rebellion and the inadequate uh, academics and the inadequate time management, um, I, I just I failed on a lot of aspects. And so from there, uh, I didn't do very well academically. But then I will tell you, I had a class uh, called Management 303. And it was um, it was the only purpose of this class was to bend your mind. It was amazing. It, it, I, I, I don't well, boy, I don't know. Break your mind no, if okay. you if you so inclined. Uh, but I did it right before the break between sophomore and junior year. And it was, I can't even tell you, actually the only lesson that I can actually talk to you about is, is Colonel Kevin Davis was, was my instructor and he put up a bunch of PRFs, so uh, recommend, pr promotion recommendation files. And he asked us cadets to say, do you think this person got promoted or not? And it was eye-opening. We're like, yeah, of course I got promoted. And they saved the world and transported a billion pounds of cargo. He's like, no, <laughs> passed over. And it caused me to question everything that I knew uh, about the Air Force. It was really pretty funny. Uh, and something about that summer in between my sophomore and junior year, which for my listeners, uh, that's where you make the decision on whether you stay at the Air Force Academy or not. We call it signing on the dotted line. Because from there, if you leave the Academy in an unforeseen way, you now owe money back. Uh, or you serve on, in the enlisted ranks. And so there's a big choice in between sophomore and junior year. And I uh, made the, the personal decision that not only did I want to graduate, and I wanted to do well, uh, and I wanted to bring my very low GPA up to at least a 3.0 because that is the, the minimum bar to get you into grad schools from there on. 
And so I spent the next two years sleeping every other night and just pulling 24-hour days every other day uh, and studying and brought my GPA up to 3.03. And I graduated with honors from the management department and and started my my career on that track. And so um, I failed physically as well. Went from football player where lots of calories to burn to bodybuilding and and powerlifting and, and did great and then when those, when I started sleeping every other night I didn't have I didn't work out uh, I also didn't know anything about resilience and the things we teach these days and so uh, I struggled with weight for a good portion of my career um, and so I I think what I tell people is that life in general is about learning what works for you and what doesn't work for you in sort of every aspect and I share this testimony with uh, with every um, Ops Air Force class that comes through. So in between your sophomore and junior year, you have academy cadets who go visit bases. And so I make it a point to uh, have an hour and a half with them at lunch. And I share this because what I tell them is once you commission, you have the choice. You can be whatever officer you want, regardless of who you were at the academy. I've seen just uh, very substandard cadets uh, a lot of Division One athletes that I knew become outstanding, outstanding officers. And I've seen a lot of folks that were at the top end of the cadet ranks, cadet squadron commander, cadet group commander, uh, turn out not to be really great in the active duty. And so um, I just encourage them to, to use that opportunity to, to make life what they want out of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, that's incredible. I don't know about the sleeping every other night. I don't think... So yeah, it's not advisable. Would, would not recommend. <laughs> not recommend. So you just all nighter and then go to the next day, sleep that day at a normal time, and then all nighter. How long did you do this? Two years. It was not good. Well, we had the summers off, but uh, two academic years. It yeah. was. I had to get really creative because I couldn't. So my roommate would go to sleep, but I couldn't have the light on, and then I would just sit in the hallway, and then the uh, the night. I don't know. The night responsible person would come yell at me for for sitting in the hallway reading a textbook, and so I had to get really creative about where I studied. But would not recommend. But um, I think it's been interesting to see in my life when I get determined about something, I'll yeah. I'll absolutely make it happen. It sounds like that's also the thing that you've got to keep bridled in some ways, right? And so something you're still working on. So flashback to when I said trying to realign my life to uh, something that's more sustainable. Uh, it's been interesting uh, every. The last boy, up until this last year, I lost leave. Um, it was eight of the last ten years, and I'm sure it was more than that. It was it was not good, and so I've been asked to do um, big projects everywhere I go. It's it's really interesting. So out of the White House, uh, they they wouldn't they decided that I shouldn't take my leave and that I should do a a very interesting top secret project for them on on national security and. Um, and prepared nuclear preparedness and so so i did that and then um brought in to do the the f2 next task force and i yeah, I, like I worked six yes sorry transformation stuff, yeah. and uh I, I worked 16 hours a day almost seven days a week for seven straight months and that and then rolled right into command and so it was not ideal uh it's not ideal so when I, what i'll tell the the mental health symposium is don't do what teddy did uh, it's a journey. It's about figuring out what works and what doesn't, and got a whole nother. So, sir, I, I imagine you felt like you had to work sixteen-hour days, seven days a week. What, um, if you could do anything different to still get to the same end result without killing yourself? What and maybe sure. 
and that's not your turn. You, you seem <clears throat> some, like someone that just work and that's just life to you. But uh, what are some things that maybe you could have done differently? Same end result, but so I think approach. in that project, there's not a lot I could have done no? differently. When you're told it's the Manhattan Project and uh, and the space race wrapped into one, and that's the level of effort I need from a person that you love and respect, mentor over many years, I do. If uh, somebody I respect asks me to give that level of effort, I will do it. Um, now, going going forward, it's it's about where to draw those boundaries. So how do you, so this is, this is great because this is now going to roll into a conversation about how do you put your team in a posture so that, you know, the pace that you're talking about there is a, is a pace that probably unsustainable for maybe even for you, but certainly, you know, many that, that will not be sustainable. So how do you get your team in a posture that is sustainable and that, that doesn't take it to the red limiter and then you know, break the machine. So how, how do you, how do you balance that? And what's the perspective on that as a, as a commander now? Cause your, your team's going to key off that and it's going to set their, their tone and climate. So what have you, how are you Absolutely. working on that? Sir, so senior Emmett Mixon, Mickens asked yeah. me that at his ALS graduation, almost verbatim. And so what I told him is that number one, you've got to be exceptionally, exceedingly clear with people what your expectations are. Uh, and I say it at least once a month to my command team Hey, if I'm answering emails on Sunday, I absolutely do not expect any sort of response. I don't expect you to look at your email over the weekend. I do not expect, please do not. What works for me and my workflow uh, does not have to dictate your life. And I ask that it doesn't. Uh, and so it's one of those things you can say it up front, but then if you let your expectations creep, then you've, you've negated it. And so I make sure to reinforce that with my team. Uh, I've read a lot of research that says that that's not effective strategy, but it seems to be working pretty well as long as you mean it um, empathically and, and genuinely. The other part is um, some of it is setting the example, I would say. Um, I will never ask somebody to do something, one, that I'm not willing to do, but two, I will not ask somebody to go an extra inch before I go the extra mile to, to fish for myself. That. Uh, I'm running into the wall where that is maybe not a sustainable model, uh, but I think it, it demonstrated, at least for my, my personality and my leadership style, it, it demonstrated how much I cared for people. And when I did ask them for things, they took it very seriously. Um, I walk around and kick people out of the squadron, or at least I did initially, and made sure that people knew that I wasn't doing loyalty checks. I don't, I don't care and, and when you're here, when you're not here. Uh, what is you saw my command philosophy and expectations is uh, don't be here just to be here go home when the job is done as long as you're improving the unit and yourself along the way then we're going to be square and so i try to hold to that in everything that i do but um you know model the way i've always i've always been the 12 o'clock high sort of model for things and uh it seems to be working all right and families how's family holding up great yeah. Uh, great. I, I would say at, at the White House, we intentionally put service be, service before family and faith and a lot of other things. I don't know that I, I would not do it the same way that we did. Squadron Command, we know that it's not just me who signs, uh, who signs up for that. It's the entire family. And so uh, what it comes down to is how do you, how do you, how do you uh, distribute the time? Because... Yeah. The notion of work-life balance is completely incorrect. You will always spend more waking hours at work than you will at home doing anything else. But it's about the quality time. 
the and so sir i have to ask who won the chili cook-off <laughs> and tell you the reason and this is a great segue into uh i love cooking chili yeah. i have a fantastic chili yeah. recipe uh <laughs> but i um i take very intentional steps with my family and uh, my oldest eloise turned eight years old and we got her she struggles a little with she struggles with confidence and and some other things and she finally wanted to go to a swim meet so her very first swim meet was in Oklahoma City on Saturday. And so coming from a you know Division One sports background and sports of my entire life, it has been interesting to see uh, my girls who do not follow in that, that footstep. And so how do you continue to coach and encourage and the purpose of sports? And so um, it, it's it's fun. It's a, I see that my family is my first mission, and it's just an opportunity to create amazing leaders right there at home. But we try to pack as much quality family time in as we can. So there's a book called Total Total Leadership. That is the first book that I've quoted in this in, in an hour, right? That's Amazing. Uh, usually it's a lot more than that. But Total Leadership by Stu Friedman, who's a UPenn um, professor. And it's how do you, if you can overlap the four circles of your life, your family, community, professional, and mm, social, I think is yeah. the other one maybe, yeah. and get as many four-way wins as you can. And so mm-hmm. what we did is, is we bought a camper, so we bought a, a, a 35-foot fifth wheel, and we use it aggressively because I didn't want to get to the point where my kids are teenagers, and then I'm trying to fight my way in to spend quality time with them. I want them to think that it's normal, and so we camp a lot. We camp very aggressively, and once you can pack all of that family stuff into a 35-foot trailer and spend time outside together with, with limited distractions, it has been really great for our family. Uh, I will say I'm, I'm glad Command is two years. Yeah. It, it was it, this is not it's a model smart. that could uh, be sustained for a very long term, but we have found a really great rhythm. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it sounds sounds like you're you've got it in balance. What are you saying? No, so I work for seven different squadron commanders, yeah. and it is it is the absolute crucible of leadership. It it really is. It amazes me what y'all do. I mean, specifically you, sir, but uh, squadron commanders are all in. And I mentioned the paycheck earlier, like, and and of course you're humble enough to make sure you don't minimize other people. In their pay, but I'm asking because uh, the the pay, which y'all, the, the 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 amount of effort y'all put in, the weight of effort y'all put in, uh, there's no paycheck that can make up for it. But it's the little wins every day when you when you see that airman get it, or you help that family, or get over that finish line, that next uh, milestone for the unit. That that to me is a, yep. bigger than a paycheck. Yeah, it's team growth. It's absolutely the growth of your team, and of course, <clears throat> leading a team to execute the mission with excellence is, is incredible, but it's, it's team growth, personal and professional growth. I think you hit on a lot of those different things. And Teddy, this comes up all the time about work-life balance and there's a lot of different theories out there. And my thing has always been that, you know, our air force, it's not binary with our, with our air force and where the time can or should be spent. In other words, we say service before self. And sometimes that gets twisted and people say, Oh yeah, it means you put the service before family. And what I have always boiled that down to is it means it's not about you or us or the individual. It's about the group. That is the essence to me of the service before self conversation. And when you look at our organization, we are actually designed to wrap our arms around family. Now, that may where every second is spent and logged is not the conversation I'm really having. What I'm saying is that uh, there are times when there's a lot of time logged by the member and the family, you know, and that could be time away from the family. But the structures that we have in place to care for that family and support that family and their ability to serve through their member at different times, 
it's not in opposition to each other. It is not binary. The service is designed, our Air Force is designed to wrap its arm around families. And so I think it just depends on how you look at it. And when you start looking at it through that lens, it can be really powerful to understand that, you know, this is a, you know, this is a, it's, it's a cycle and it's a constant and we're, we're all rowing in this boat together. And, and that helps me process it. And I think it's a powerful thing. So I think you hit on so many elements of that. I appreciate you bringing that up. This has been a really good, this has been a really good, really good version of the debrief. Well, I think we need that. We knew this was going to be we good. That, We're talking uh, about this. We're like, no, we, got, we got, yeah, yeah. And of course he's humble. But yeah. when I go around the base and I talk, I mean, professional development is really big to the command chief. Um, and when I hear the by name requests come back, uh, Colonel Boyd's typically at the top of the list, if not at the top of the list of folks who want to come back. He's engaging. Uh, he helps people find introspection. It's, it's pretty amazing to watch him in action. You feel the energy. You feel the passion for what you do. That's that's one of your superpowers, I think. Is He's so deliberate about everything. He's and deliberate about every phase of his life, which is pretty amazing. You know, we talk about that intellectual curiosity. He's mm-hmm. at the yeah. absolute high yeah. end of that. High end of the spectrum, for sure. And, and what I love, though, is I, I think the real beauty of the story is you found a way, Teddy, to keep it all in what I'll call relative balance, right? You found a way to channel that energy, that passion, that that drive in you that makes you want to be the absolute best that you, you can be, but not at the necessarily at the, not at the expense of other things that really matter to you, you know, like family and, and your service and, and your health, you know, so. Still working on that. So I appreciate those compliments. I don't think any of them are, are deserved. I, I just see the, the things that I haven't done well in life and they just motivate me to, to keep going. I appreciate both of you giving me the grace because I have had, you know, one of the things we don't talk about in here is the, you know, is the wing commander, group commander, squadron commander, mentoring and coaching that goes on in the background is I've made plenty of mistakes in squadron command there is not all sunshine and roses for sure but i appreciate specifically the the grace that you guys have given me thank you yeah you bet and no it's all we're all learning it's learning every day is learning every day is you know hey what can what can i what can we all co- collectively do better so uh that's great that's the element of that so jan so how are we doing on time and how are we looking for this so version I, say, of the debrief? I say we go an extra five minutes yeah if you guys can before I feel like we have a talent here, and why not let our listeners? I did have one last okay, question. There, you go. Yeah, he's got oh, there we go. There we go. See, okay. this is this is how it goes. I want I wanted to ask you what's what's post military career looking like for you? What's gonna be civilian Teddy Boyd, reti- retired lieutenant colonel, retired possibly colonel? If I get to retire as lieutenant colonel, <laughs> I will consider it a win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There are days I believe that I will retire as a captain. That is basically how I live my life. Uh, it's a, thanks for asking that. This was a conversation we had in the hallway before you showed us. As you know, and you've seen me talk at all the professional development things, that is my calling in life, right? It's to, um, it's to glorify our maker and, and change the world by developing leaders with humility and love. That, that's what I do. And so any chance that I get up, get the opportunity to get up and share the, the mistakes or the lessons learned and the things that I'm working on is is a good day for me. It energizes me, regardless of how long the day is or how little sleep I had. So, uh, post military, my my goal in the military is to continue serving until I'm no longer useful. Uh, I'm committed out to 24 years of service, and if that's where it ends, that's where it ends. If that's not, then that's not. So, uh, it's it's been an interesting road to get to all of those perspectives, uh, and I love it. And so, whatever is next is is great for me. But my post-military career is to continue that life mission. And so I'm working on a philosophy called leadership physics that you've seen in a couple of the slide slide decks, but it's about taking the, 
I can read two or 300 books a year and trying to plot them around in, in a different framework. And so it's, it's a concept I call leadership physics. And so I think you can plot the leader, the concept of leadership on a, uh, on more or less a scientific spectrum. Leadership is a hundred percent, not science. Uh, but I think some of the scientific principles uh, apply to how you understand it. And it started with, are you a start with why kind of leader or a leadership challenge kind of leader? And uh, I got this in my head. I was like, well, why, why can't I be both? They're both good. And if they can, if they're both applicable, then you know, where do they fit into the thing we call leadership? And so I said, here's what I'm going to do. I remember exactly where I was at. I was in Hawaii in my very first, in the first year I was in Hawaii, what is this, five, six, seven years ago now. And I was like, it's easy. I'll take all the best leadership books and then I'll point a little arrow and point to where they fall into the thing we call leadership. Uh, it is five, six, seven years on and still have not finished that because it turns out it doesn't exist. And so I'm of the firm belief that we, the world would be a better place if we had more better leaders. And leaders would be more effective if they understood how the whole leadership thing fits together. Absolutely. And so by reading all of these things, they all start to, to congregate and aggregate around certain ideas. And uh, my whole goal is to break leadership down in its most basic fundamental constituent parts uh, and then help people understand that every book, every movie, every interaction with another person is a leadership lesson they can take and start categorizing. And I, I can't help but think every interaction I see in life where I'm picking up a pizza from Domino's and I see the poor shift manager is 19 years old yelling at his 14 year old people. And I just, you know, I can't help but look at it in a military or in a, in a leadership perspective. And so my whole goal is, uh, there's a whole set of things behind it, but a set of kids books and, and everything to help grow leaders from the start so that we can make the world a better place. So that's my goal. Whenever that happens. Man, sir, let's, let's, uh, our listeners are in the 56. There's like a whole 35 number of folks out there wishing they were in the 56 to be invested in like this. I'm convinced uh, <laughs> Colonel Boyd can teach a robot the art of leadership uh, with his approach. It's pretty amazing to watch yeah. <laughs> or listen yeah, to. It's, it's great. I think you're going to – I think you I think you got a bright future, you know, what, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, those those energies and passions will, will, will definitely lead you in a very uh, – in, in a great path. That's exciting too. Um I'll, sign us up. We'll be your first. We'll be your first. Uh, your first book purchase at the at the road show or, or whatever you appreciate, do. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. As long as you promise, uh, you'll give us. You're not going to charge us to autograph the. No, promise us no, when, no, no, when no. you're out there. No, I'll be paying you to take it off my hands. <laughs> leave me a leave me a one star review on Amazon whenever it gets written. Um, That's really neat. You know, so all the, all the things you talk about. I mean, I think the one of the first things to build trust is, is reliability. And I will say, anytime I email you. Or anyone else in this wing emails you, you are like quick to get, you are responsive as all, as all can be. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, because a lot of, and I've seen the spectrum. I've seen civilians to airmen uh, to chief uh, reach out to you and, and you deliver on that. And all, none of that stuff matters uh, if you don't build reliability, uh, with trust through reliability. And that's pretty awesome that you do that. Appreciate that feedback, Chief. I don't, I don't always, I don't always hit the mark. Uh, as you know, there are more emails than there are minutes in the day, uh, but I try to make it count when I do. You, you hit the the concept of trust. That is the currency of leadership. And uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, right, the younger Covey, has the book called The Speed of Trust that just captivated me. 
And trust can be so many things that he breaks it down into to character and competence, right? Character is do you believe the things the, the person is saying and competence is do you believe that they're the right person to tell you that or they're <laughs> capable of telling you that? And he breaks it down even further. And uh, I just am captivated with trust because when it's not there, life doesn't make sense. And so, well, actually, one of my, my message for the – this is a, a sneak peek for all of you people who will be there on Thursday at – Jackson County Health Department Mental Health Symposium uh, on Thursday is it's about resilience in yourself, right? Leading yourself well uh, and then being a great follower, right? So helping lead your boss by being a good follower. And the last part is leading your people in a way that builds their resilience. And so we sh I'm showing basically what it does, how you do that in the wrong way. So the kind of toxic leadership behaviors and then how you do it in the right way and it all comes down to trust love clarity and um and helping people achieve more than than they thought was was possible yeah you hit on followership too we don't talk enough about that we we talk a lot about leadership as we should right as we should we should set and maintain the highest standard for our leaders I and mean, we all all prescribe to that all in on that but we don't i really feel like we're all followers on some level as well too I'm sure we spend enough time talking about that and what what really good followership looks like, uh, and we probably need to parse that out a little bit more. I think uh, institutionally, we we really need to spend more time talking about that, particularly in this day and age where there's just a lot of negativity in the social media space and out in cyberspace, and it, that can be challenging for leaders to to be able to process and um, either overcome or to to work through. So I think. We could we could probably collectively do a lot more in that space. I'm glad you hit on that. Probably one for the next, maybe in one of these future debriefs we do, we could we could talk about some examples of good good and bad followership. There's some really. We think about leadership in that it's I am in charge of this organization moving in this direction, and I will tell you, sir, being a squadron command made me realize that no, I am both a leader of an organization, but I'm a follower in my boss's yeah. organization, and uh, I think you're absolutely right. We do not talk about it at all. Uh, we, we talk about followership and basically the sense of do what you're told. Yeah, correct. But it's yeah. so much more than that. And yeah. I started peeling back. I mean, this is, if I was to pick one failure and there's of the many in squadron command, it's followership, 100%. And so I've been, you know, what, what do I do when I fail at something? I try and learn why. And so I've done a very extensive reading on followership and there it's an emerging field and everybody's coming to the same yeah. um this, the same realization that followership is its own thing and unless you're the president of the united states and even he answers to the american people in congress you're you're a follower first uh, and that has been a real enlightening study of research or course of research for me and so uh, i think that is probably the number one leadership lesson i'm taking out of squadron command which is really interesting because it's, it's how to be a good follower yes, so, sir, yeah as a squadron list leader i mean i've always been and I proudly say this, the bridemaid to the commander, which means I'm their ultimate follower. And I love it because uh, you really get to see behind every toxic leader, there's usually a group of toxic followers because anyone could tell the, the emperor he has no clothes on. And a lot of the times it doesn't happen. They just watch the, the boss uh, uh, burn at the stake. And, and at any point, someone could have stopped it. And I used to brag to people, I've never had a bad boss, me, because part of it, you don't let them. You tell them like, "Hey, uh, have you thought about doing this?" Uh, and if you don't say it, then you can't blame them for not for not doing it. So it really is a team game when it comes to that. It, it absolutely is, and, and you've know this. And this is one of the things you're, that uh, Colonel Boyd was hitting on there is at at the squadron command, group command, wing command level, it's it's not a lot of go do. It really shouldn't be in that way. Or is there 
is there direction? Is there guidance? Is there moving an organization and aligning it? Absolutely. But very rarely, even in the military sense of the word, do we need a go do? Yes. Is there a time and a place for it? Absolutely. But a lot of times it is, you mentioned it earlier, uh, Colonel Boyd mentioned it. It is, am I... Am I getting back something that meets my intent that may look a little different that I need to be a little flexible on, that meets the intent of the organization, meets the needs of the organization, and that that I need to flex? And and I, I have no problem saying there is an element of followership in that. And it's not leading by committee, but it, it is absolutely a followership component of what does the team need? And that really is something that you should follow as a leader. You should be very sensitive to that. And if you're getting feedback from folks like your SELs, your chiefs, to say, hey, boss, you need to be thinking about this or hey, this is what the team needs or what the team's feeling. That's a form of followership from the, from the, at echelon, right? From, from the hierarchy. So it's fascinating. We could really, I think we teed up some we, great we stuff. We may need a bonus episode. If, need you, a bonus if you wanted to do that in the future, I would, I would blitz read all the <laughs> yeah. things and, uh, and I would come prepared. I'll throw the book recommendation out. It's called The Courageous Follower. It's written by a Georgetown University professor who spent a long time in national security enterprise. And it is fantastic. It's about how to, how to follow with courage, but how to speak up with courage mm-hmm. in the the four dimensions that he, he comes up with. It it's, it's one of those ones that you have to sit down with uh, with a cup of coffee in the in the morning, yes, sir, and really chew on it. So yeah. anyway. I see Soren Allen back there taking notes. So yes, playing, hashtag he's leadership. Angry Birds. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> hashtag no free ads. <laughs> but uh, but as our listeners can tell, we could probably go all afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, we we've got to wrap this up. But it's been an absolute top seven episode of the debrief podcast how many have there been seven yep awesome <laughs> adequate that's all i was going for right that's it that's harsh that's dude. Hard load. <laughs> you may senior him and if you said top cynical. eight i would have been real concerned but, but it's been it's been a pleasure and it's been a great episode mm-hmm. uh and i really hope our listeners take a lot from this uh, and and Colonel, Colonel Baker, Chief Flores, as always, you gentlemen just kept it flowing, you know, and I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your time, Lieutenant Colonel Boyd. Um, do you have any uh, closing comments, sir? Chief? I just should say what I always say. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show to Airman Jantz and the PA team for putting this together. Again, this is, this is how we learned the purpose of the debrief. We went back to the original concept of it, which was to figure out what went wrong, why did it go wrong, and how do we fix it, to your point. Trying not to make a mistake twice, but but learning from the rich experiences that are out there. So here they are, and I think you think he crushed it on this. One. Oh my gosh, we didn't even usually we we throw in the word debrief to emphasize it. It was uh, it was big, evident. It was one big debrief. It was omnipresent. Yeah, frankly. So word of the day. Word of the I'm day. I'm on that calendar too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but great job, sir. I mean, as Thanks, I mean, as good and or better than advertised. We knew you were going to kill it tonight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I, this has been a tremendous opportunity to sit and talk leadership with both of you is something that uh, I think everybody should get the chance to do but there's only two of you and so many hours in the day so I appreciate you spending time well we're going to start not sleeping every other night I I said do not recommend we are not going to do that we're not going to do it but uh, (laughs) the debrief debrief. we'll learn from it but thanks thanks uh, Teddy thanks Lieutenant Colonel Boyd and and with that to our listeners that is a wrap to another episode of the debrief podcast thank you very much everybody have a good one Thanks. Out.